0: Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Sarah Bradford. Sarah is an autistic self-advocate children's book author, and the CEO of SJ Childs LLC, an autism consulting business that supports families. She also hosts her own podcast, The SJ Child Show. Her husband and their three children are also on the spectrum. In today's conversation, we discuss Sarah's recent discovery of her autism and how it affects her everyday life, masking and learning to unmask, having a deeper connection with her husband and children post-diagnosis, how autism might present differently for men and women, important considerations when teaching non-autistic children about autism, ideas to promote inclusion and acceptance, what Sarah's learned about autism advocacy from doing her podcast, the 1 in 44 tour virtual summit, and advice for other newly diagnosed autistic women. In this episode, discover what's possible when you're on the inside looking out. To learn more about Sarah and her work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at autismpodcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, And join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Sarah Bradford. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for joining us today. So nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been a community member for quite some time, so I'm excited to finally get you on the show.
1: Yeah, get to know each other a little bit more. It's one of my favorite things to do.
0: Could you please briefly introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm Sarah Bradford, also known as S.J. Childs. Um, I'm an author, children's book author, and a podcaster, a mom, a new CEO. So that's just fresh and exciting to to start things. And I have been on my autism journey, well, learning, you know, about it and everything for about a decade now, but. Just recently, in the last couple of months, I found out that I'm also on the spectrum. So we're really looking at four decades of now (laughs) uncovering what that means for myself. So it's been really exciting. And this community has been just amazing to be a part of. And I'm so grateful to have found you guys.
0: Great. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So what made you finally seek out that evaluation?
1: So about 6 years after my son was diagnosed, my husband got his diagnosis or findings, I should say, uh, that he had Asperger's at the time, and so I started really looking at what that looked like, and kind of like what my perspective of our relationship was like and and how I could look at that differently than how I was looking at as a parent to a child. And so then about um, maybe a year ago, my daughter, who is 10, also, we were going for a dyslexia diagnosis and came back with dyslexia, autism, ADHD. And then I started to really think about it and evaluate, okay, well, these are all the ways that she's like me, or that maybe I was like this as a child. And it started to... Again, widen and bring this new perspective of, oh wow, <laughs> like this makes more sense. And I had kind of been questioning and telling my husband, how do you think I understand all all of you so well? Maybe I, you know, have a space on the spectrum too. And, you know, it's kind of like, where do I belong here? And and then going to find out for myself was. It was so empowering and it really brought this connection to us as a family, really fulfilling Hmm. to know that we were just all kind of in it together, (laughs) if you will, on on our journey. And we could give each other so much more patience and grace and understanding, uh, being able to see, number one, they're our children. So now we know that they're both so much more like us than they even, than we thought they were before even, which gives us the advantage and the chance to kind of guide them the way we wished we would have been, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's almost the best thing you can do as a parent is do better when you know better. Right.
0: So what were some of those similarities that you saw with you and your daughter? Well, and
1: <laughs> it's so funny because I have... Over my lifetime, learned how to mask and in many ways, and so I think one of those ways is is being humble and not being, you know, er like arrogant or say anything. But I was so smart as a little kid, (laughs) and so here I go. Um, No, but um, I was, you know, I was memorizing things as early as three, like albums that my my neighbors would, I. I'm an only child. And so I spent a lot of time with just older people a lot of the times. And also the two neighbors that kind of raised me like my big sisters would make me memorize like Scorpion albums (laughs) and things of the times in the seventies. And so looking back and just kind of knowing those facts, I always was really great, did really good in school and could have been the best, you know, student I have wanted to be, but always, you know, there's always that room for social <laughs> things mm. to to take their their place as well. But um so I'd say that was really a lot like my daughter. She was so bright very early on, talking, emotionally intelligent and understanding things on a level that I didn't know that a child could understand things and like really relatable so i started to recognize those types of things socially we're very different her and i as far as like i'm very outgoing and bubbly and and she's m- more shy and very confident and so i think that it, it's just these two different airs about ourselves but when it comes down to like who we really are i can see the similarities in our kind of wanting to see through other people's eyes how we should be presenting ourselves, if that makes sense. Mm. My husband likens it to being on the freeway and trying to look through other people's windshields to drive, to like see how they're driving to, to stay safe rather than just focusing on my own. And going forward, you know i 'm concerned about what this person's doing or what this person is you know thinking or things, and so I, I think it for both of us that that is a very i don't know pattern <laughs> that's been emerging that i've been noticing more and more do you think that's related to masking i uh-huh, i do I think so I think that you know i <laughs> I heard something the other day that said, now pretend that there was nothing around, that there was no one. Like, what would you do for yourself if there was no one looking, no one around, no one you were worried about? You know, you wanted to take a walk and do jumping jacks down the street or, and just never concerned about. And I think that that's something that I've just in my conditioning as a child. My father was in the military and I needed to be attentive and on task and on time and very controlled. I mean, it was a, not in a bad, bad way, but you know, it it just the, in the sense that I didn't have control for myself. I didn't have self-independence. I had to do what was meant for me to do at all times. And so I think becoming an adult, I didn't even have a clue what I was (laughs) supposed to be doing and nobody was telling me what I should be. And so I think you find you're a lot, you know, self lost there, you know, a little bit when you're transitioning. And, and so I think that helping her now just being only 10 years old and being able to say, okay, these were the things that now looking back on it i may have been misguided or not properly supported in the right direction so let me offer that to you and let's see if we can create a different outcome you mm-hmm. know
0: yeah oh that's so great that she has you oh thanks <laughs> like a mom who actually understands also what what it's like
1: yeah and you know and her dad too and it's it's incredible that we I'm emotional, Rachel, and you know that. I'll try not oh. I'll try to be good. <laughs> it's okay. But it's, it's it's so great to have um, have these relationships with our kids that we felt like we had missed out on mm-hmm. in our childhood. You know, just this the closeness and and especially as an only child. I mean, I had no idea what like a sibling relationship was like, and my parents were divorced, so I didn't even know what a a married, you know, parent situation was like, and and so t- to have that today, and I kind of liken it to a Disney movie because there's tragedy and sadness in the beginning, and then it turns out to be this fairy tale ending at the end. And so oh, yeah. it's
0: kind of like the the, the
1: style of my life has has gone <laughs> now. And now to find out, you know, that the thing I've been most passionate about which is autism and helping my community, you know, my, my kids, peers, their neighbors, just the, the school teachers, things like that, helping them understand how to better communicate with them, especially for our son who is 12. He was diagnosed when he was 16 months old and he was reading at one year old. I had found the, your baby can read program. (laughs) It was quite a while ago where they had DVDs and flashcards that you could start to help your baby learn how to read. And so I was very interested in early childhood education. And I thought I will, I'll do this. This, you know, is right up my alley. And it, it was very successful. He was reading right away. He was writing at two. And so because he was still nonverbal and, and hadn't sp- started speaking, we were able to communicate through writing, mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. lists. And I would make like a wants and a needs list and put his items of, of choice that he, you know, things he needed. And we started to form our communication through that. We did do some sign language. And then when he was three, I started recognizing that he was writing down lists of things, just like license plate numbers, addresses, store names. And I started to recognize that he had a photographic memory. I mean, it was exciting and challenging at the same time because you're like, oh, wow, like this is, this is so neat. And I just jumped on and like got all the preschool kindergarten age, educational, academic stuff I could find and really just started teaching him. And he started (laughs) self-teaching and it's been a really fascinating journey. And he's 12 now. I would say at age of eight, we had him tested. We wanted his IQ tested. We didn't get a IQ number, but we did find out that he uses 99% of his working memory. Which is all you can use, right? right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And so at at that time, like I said, he was eight, which would have put him in third or fourth grade. I think third. He was doing sophomore math. He did, like, they tested him and he was at a sophomore level in math. Wow. Yeah. And now at the age of 12, he's phased out, if I, I don't even know how to say it correctly. And so this year I'm going to be looking into options because I don't even know what is the next step. You know, do does he take a GED now? Do do colleges start to be interested in finding out if they can, you know, help him? So there's just like this new in- amazing new discoveries to make with him every day. And you know, we've been homeschooling and online school for so many years now. With him, it, he was in first grade when the school district said, we just can't teach him on the level he's at. Hmm. And I had to bring him home and just did it, you know. And luckily we had like a great online school criteria to follow. So I wasn't just winging it everywhere. (laughs) Um, But now he's still partially verbal. He is verbal. Like you saw, he came in and said, hello, Mm -hmm. but we're still working on communication. We're still working on, scripting conversations things like that but he is currently studying about 133 languages oh wow (laughs) and like i don't know what level of of math he could possibly be at at this time so
0: the languages are with reading and writing
1: yes and so he can recognize script or hear auditorily how to recognize what language it is. I don't think that he can actually maybe speak a sentence in every single language, but if he hears it, he's like, oh, that's German. Oh, that's Russian. Oh, that's, you know, oh, that's written in Latin. That's written in Hebrew. You know, he's been studying language for years now, and he just loves to do that. Mm -hmm so yeah, that's been a really interesting, uh, that was my introduction of, uh, (laughs) of what autism looked like. And, and now I know so much more, you know, now I see it from the perspective of every member of my family. Yeah. And it's so incredible to then be like, yes, this is what I want to help people see. This is what I want. This is what I've been advocating and speaking about. And, you know telling my husband like i need a louder voice i need to help people understand just how integrated everybody already is and just not seeing things for the the real picture
0: right right can you elaborate more on like that connection you were talking about with your husband how that changed after you found this out about yourself and got that confirmation yeah absolutely
1: We've been together for, it'll be 18 years this year. So for us, we have this like best friend marriage and we've been so close for so long. And when I realized it was at that same time that we had had DJ tested when he was eight, that's when I was going over the ADOS, and I was like, oh, husband, 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 check, check, check. <laughs> and I started realizing because I had available to me his nine year old psych eval as well. And so I was reading over his going, it, people, what, you know, but they just didn't have the same information available to them then. But there were things that were. Clear and obvious to me, and I brought it to his attention, and just said, "Guess what? You're you're on the spectrum." And, and he, you know, kind of took the information in, and over the next, you know, year or whatever, was like really embraced it and said, "This is, it makes so much more sense now. I can understand, um, you know, maybe like he doesn't like to be around people when they're eating, <laughs> which is very common, right?" And mm-hmm. our son is the exact same way. And so when I had that kind of realization, I was able to give my son so much more patience. like, and not that I wasn't even patient before, but then I had this knowledge on top of it that said, okay, this really bothers him. It's not that he doesn't want to be there that he's, you know, needs to be trained better on how to be there. This is not for him. Like it is not for him. And I'm not going to force that on him. He doesn't have to sit and watch people put food in their mouth and listen to the sounds and be grossed out and, you know, all of the things. I give this man that I love all of these accommodations for those same purposes. I can do the same for him. So, but yeah, when, when I found out for myself, it just really was almost like a relief that I wasn't the only one looking in, you know? Yeah, I was also looking out with them, <laughs> so right. it, it was. It's just, uh, it's just so fascinating. And I think that parents of you know smaller children or you know first diagnoses, it can be overwhelming and a little bit unknown of of how to maybe help or get support. But I think that when we really recognize the Advance and advantages that we have now in our societies. There's so much great information out there. There's so many self advocates getting as much of the right information. I, if you can say that, I don't know what's could be right or wrong, but more perspectives. And I think that that is good for families. That's good for parents to see, you know, Danny Bowman. That Now she's, you know, on Netflix and on Love on the Spectrum and she's like has her own business and she is the most like driven girl that I have talked to. It's so special to be able to know that you don't ever know where your child is going to end up, no matter if they are neurotypical or neurodiverse. My husband has a wonderful analogy of parents are like a bow and the children are like the arrow and they could be the most beautifully crafted and somebody has taken just time and they've made all these special things, you know, but once the arrow is shot away, like anything can change the trajectory of that arrow. Wind, you know, the something that come into its pathway, just there's so many obstacles or there's so many unknowns and you have to just be prepared to kind of support where that lands instead of have expectations of where it should go or should, and then be disappointed because that's expectations just lead to disappointment. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to, you know, setting goals and setting, like making good choices, isn't the same as having expectations. Like expectations are things that are unknown to someone else that you have unintentionally um, placed on them. <laughs> and sometimes that that can go wrong. We've had this really great idea of kind of like um, starting maybe a movement, if you will, about clear intentions. And how wonderful would that be if we could, for our adults on the spectrum, you know, for their employers have clear expectations, clear intentions, of what is necessary and needed for them, I, I get so many of you know people saying, "Well, my employer just doesn't understand how to help me, and they're not giving me directions of what I need to do and so I think it'd be really great to have kind of an idea that the more clear we can be with our intentions for things, for our children, for our relationships and in just business and everything, the easier it will be for us to understand one another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes the other way too. Like if employers had clear expectations of what was expected on their end to help support autistic people, then it would just exactly hopefully all go smoother from there. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. We can just hope for the future, right? <laughs> so Sarah, how does your autism affect your everyday life? Well, there are a few things. I've, I've
1: very vulnerable. Um, I think that I, I've done hair pulling my entire life, so that's something that I still catch myself doing in anxiety moments. I've I've definitely taken hold of my anxiety. I oh gosh, my husband is such an important part of my journey and my self awareness, my self expression. He's really helped me to. Be open to understanding how I'm masking around people. And it's funny. We used to have a saying that I have a secretary voice. And he would always say, like, don't talk to me in your secretary voice. Just talk to me in your regular voice. (laughs) And, And I didn't know that that was a thing, right? I mean, I was a paralegal. I was literally a secretary. Uh, (laughs) So uh I, I just had a professional, I guess, you know, persona, if you will. And then regular me just being myself persona. But he always saw how that was. And now we both know, well, that's masking. That's me trying to put up whatever whoever is expecting me to be what they're expecting. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm putting on this front that I'm this beautiful, you know, happy secretary. Oh, let me help you with all of your things and do all the things for you, which is a lot of what my conditioning as a child was. I remember go, we would go to events and my dad would say, go clean up those people's things. Go. And I was kind of like the servant or the, the hmm. person that did for others all the time. And so I think that also formed me into kind of a fawning (laughs) type of, of person, which can be unhealthy And, and definitely, I think what's really lucky, um, in my relationship with my husband is that he had an interesting perspective growing up, being able to have a lot of, well. He, he went through the justice system a lot and he was forced into therapies, but at the same time, all of that therapy really made him a well-rounded person and created this person who could be objective and not, not emotional in helping you get to that same place, Mm. which at the time when I met him, I think that I was, I wouldn't say my worst self, but maybe a little bit in that I had no self-control. Like I didn't, I was very impulsive. I didn't have good communication style. I definitely had a problem lying when I was younger. And that's something I had to overcome early in our relationship. And that's kind of interesting. I, we had like something happen, and he said, we can't even work this out if we can't be honest with one another. And I didn't know how to change. I didn't know how to stop something I had just kind of been doing as a pattern for so long. And so I think that I really knew like the weight of the relationship. And I started going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. The only place I could like find to go and sit and say, I have this problem. I need help. I need to stop. Like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Like, and I'm kind of, kind of an interesting way to go about
0: it, but. <laughs> and the problem you're talking about was lying, like compulsive lying. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I think that that was a, a problem
1: for masking and, not, and obviously not getting in trouble when I was young because of, all of the control. Right. Uh, And so I think that that definitely is a masking though. I think that when you, when you do that compulsively, that is also part of a masking technique, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I, I, did this, these classes, I went for like eight weeks or, you know, whatever. And I just decided to turn my life around and everything changed after that. Everything changed. My relationships, a lot of people fell away. Which is a natural course of life. And a lot of great relationships came about, ours included. (laughs) So, you know, now we're here on 18 years. It's like two decades of, of being with someone who I fully trust, who treats me more important than anyone in the world, and who we can now know that we like have been through all these struggles with one another and helped each other out along the way. And so it's really refreshing to see, like, like you said, like I could point out all of, all of his autism traits and now he's starting to, you know, we're starting to see more of mine and it's kind of cute. He's been giving me my autism card every once in a while when I need it, because I, you know, start to question or have a little bit of imposter syndrome and especially trying to build a reputation in the community. I was trying to do that before I I knew. And now I am I have an even different kind of approach that I can take. And I can say, I'm an autistic woman. That was something before I was like, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, you know, and, and now I, I can wholeheartedly say,
0: this is me and all that comes with it. <laughs> That's amazing. And the fact that He said your autistic traits are showing up more now. I mean, that's also a sign of you just being more authentic, right? And breaking down those walls. I agree. And that's interesting that you said that too, because that one thing that we
1: noticed was when I got my testing done, they did, you know, a hearing test and things. And I found out that I hear one second longer out of each ear and they couldn't really say why. And my husband came up with the, he's just brilliant. So brilliant. And he said, You know, I think it's because your whole life you've been running on fight or flight, your whole life. And now you have this understanding that that extra hearing, you don't have to, nobody's yelling at you. Nobody's, you're not waiting for something. It's like, I would say, you know, Mm -hmm. like this, (laughs) a cat that was like always on On edge. Yeah. Yeah. And, but since then, I would say my hearing, my listening skills have declined because I'm, it's almost like I've given it up. Like I, I'm not, not doing that anymore. I'm not doing the fight or flight. That's not working for me. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not living in those kind of in, on that lifestyle anymore. I, I don't know what that means for me now with what kind of, I guess, living in the moment. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way to say it, but I'm not feeling anxious about all of the things that I might be missing, or that I might be doing wrong, or I, I'm really like calming down. Mm-hmm. Did you seek out therapy, or have you? Um, just from him. Okay, <laughs> he's, he's he's my my own personal therapist, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know just friends. But no, and I don't think it's a bad idea. But I think that when you have a relationship with somebody who can help you uncover the core of things that's basically what you'd go to a therapist for. So I think that we have each other in that sense. And and I probably am not as good as a therapist for him as he is for me. But I think that we've really had such a successful relationship. And now trying to really have like successful business, successful podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. successful parenting styles. Like we're
0: really just focused on being the best we can be. Right. That's amazing. I'm glad that you guys have each other for support. <laughs> and you know, a lot of women have been discovering that they are autistic later in life. And we know this because of the you know, lack of research about young girls compared to boys and just the awareness in general. But what do you think are some ways that autism presents differently for men and women? Yeah.
1: You know, I I would say that the girls that are diagnosed early, that's obvious because they're getting the diagnosis, but ones that aren't discovered, you know, like my daughter, for example, I mean, she wasn't, she was 10. So one through 10, like, what are we looking at? (laughs) What were, what are those, what does that look like for us? It looked like over active brain. Like she was so intelligent and, um, talking earlier than other people. She was, like I said, emotionally, really emotionally intelligent, but also, I think that there's also a similarity when it comes to special interests. You know, you look at a little girl that loves shoes and you don't think, oh, there's her special interest. She's lining shoes up everywhere. No, she's a girl. She loves shoes. Like, Whatever, right? And that's like society's idea of what girls should like or or dolls. You know, I had to buy a new baby doll in the little toy section of the store every time we went to the store. I think she owned like 25 baby dolls. But does society question whether or not a lot of baby dolls is a sign no? because she's a girl and she likes baby dolls. Right. And so I think it's just really interesting when we look at those types of things, like special interests and communication, I think that we need to recognize that. I mean, this in in all the respect I, I can say, men and women, male and females are different and we can't look at them in the same way, even you know, with our brain, we have to look at things, every individual different, not only that, but we have to recognize that hormones are going to be different play. Like all of the chemicals that are in the brain are going to be working differently than they will be for the other. So (laughs) it's, it's for me, it's almost like the lack of understanding should have been recognized understanding that there was a difference to begin with and not trying to compile it all into one category of what autism
0: is. So what do you think are some specific challenges to being an autistic woman? Like, do you find it hard to relate to the world or struggle being heard more than males? Yeah, you know, I think that for me... I always
1: had a physical difference and not one that is um, very easy to see for others. It's an outer ear microtia, which means I have really little ears. And so I always thought me feeling different than everyone else <laughs> was that. And I'm sure that that was part of it. But now I know it's also because, you know, neurodiverse, but I think that that is something that has always affected me. I just thought it was for different reasons. So now I can see that. Now I can see that it, in fact, I would liken myself to a unicorn (laughs) that just was always off kind of prancing around everything else, looking in, never really realizing that knowing that I was like, had, you know, special talents and I was really good at Whatever I wanted to be good at, and I think that that's an interesting sign, if you will. I and I find the same thing in my husband. Like when we first met, and we would joke a lot that you know we were just both above average. (laughs) And I don't mean to be like you know sound stuck up or anything about that, but he's like masters anything he does. Spray painting, like playing pool. We used to play in billiards tournaments and he would just beat everyone, all the (laughs) old players, all the young players. Like once he finds something and tunes in, he just masters things. And I've been kind of like that with careers in my life. I've had so many different careers. And I think that that might be something indicative of also of autistic, you know, traits But I will say that maybe to my disadvantage is how friendly I am and how open I am. That some people dislike that. Some workplaces dislike that. They don't want over social, you know, happy behaviors. (laughs) And so I think you just have to find the right balance in anything you do. I kind of joke the only job I've ever been fired from was from a divorce Law firm because I was too happy. And they, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, I have, you know, had great, I've been a preschool teacher and I was a paralegal. I've been a massage therapist for the Utah Jazz and I've been a children's book author, a podcaster. So I've just, I like to reinvent myself. I'm not afraid to, if I'm really interested in something, take a big risk and become something new. I think that might be something to look for and, and understand with entrepreneurs and especially in, in females that that might be, like you said, maybe, a a sign of an autistic trait, definitely ADHD With all of my projects <laughs> that I have going on, um, multiple times. And, and sometimes I have a really hard time finishing things. I'm like an amazing starter, but not a great finisher. I have a hard time With imposter syndrome toward the end and an idea of that I'll be successful. And I think that that comes kind of back down to that conditioning, that younger self feeling like they were damper all the time and and that I'm not like bursting out of my own shell. So something I'm still trying to put into place with everything I have going on for the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've talked about imposter syndrome a lot on this podcast. It's a common theme with our um, leadership training that we do at the Global Autism Project. And it's like that little voice never really goes away. You know, it's more about what are you going to do to overcome these barriers?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, like I I do a lot of strategizing for myself, Um There have been times where I've just made kind of like a mental, you know, discipline for myself, and and been able to change things. Other times I have to write things down and leave notes for myself, and sometimes, let's be honest, I'll leave a note and it'll become ingrained in my background of what it is that I don't even notice the words on it anymore. It's like Hmm. is just part of the background, and so I think that time management, like executive functioning. I guess that would fall under that category. Skills that we
0: can always work on sharpening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sarah, I'd like to change topics. So you mentioned you're a children's book author and you have a series of books for children about autism. All kinds of special needs, actually. Oh, all special needs. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think is an important consideration when teaching non-autistic children about autism or about disabilities?
1: I think it's really important to show similarities so that they can have a sense of understanding and compassion. And a little quote that we love to use is a little bit of knowledge turns fear into understanding." And when you give children a little bit of knowledge on how to better understand their peers, they aren't confused or afraid of why it might look different for them. And so it's, it's very empowering to just a little bit of information. And so I think that making sure that they, my books have animal characters and, you know, everybody likes their own, (laughs) what they like Um, The animal characters for me, were helpful because one book, for example, is about physical differences. It's about a cat with little ears. And so this little kitten needs to learn that all cats are different. If you look at them, there are really no two cats that are the same. They have different size whiskers, tails, ears, spots, stripes, fur, you know, just so many different varieties. And so to liken children to see that All of these similarities still make them all cats. It is really easy for them to understand and to say, okay, all of these brain and thinking processes might look different and might have different outcomes, but we all clap our hands. That's a human experience. We all jump up and down. That's a human experience. And so it's so much easier for them to say, okay, well, this person might just when they hear a loud noise, they jump up and down a little bit more than than I would. But that's all. Like I, I don't need to be afraid. And you know, bullying usually comes out of the fear of not knowing. And so I think we really need to just kind of put knowledge as early as possible into these children's hands to help them integrate
0: these relationships and be more supportive peers hmm Yeah. Definitely starting at a young age because these kids are going to grow up to be adults and there are adult bullies. Unfortunately, yes. we see that in the workplace too. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think are some ideas to promote inclusion and acceptance overall?
1: Um, you know, my personal favorite thing to do, this is, Without ever knowing anything, it has nothing to do with autism and everything to do with a good way to just be a good person every day. So great advice for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I love to thank the people who may not be thanked as much. I stop and thank the lady at the grocery store who's emptying the trash and say, oh my gosh, your job is, is so important. Thank you. Just wanted to know you're appreciated. I think that it's important to see people and tell them, like I love to be the person to compliment a stranger because they some people don't love it when strangers talk to them and some people do. (laughs) And you'll find with um, at least with me my autistic family, half of us love to talk to strangers. The other half don't even want to be heard or seen or anything else. And so it's a it's a it's a (laughs) funny little um display of our spectrum family. But I love to think to to give people compliments, and you know, like, oh, that shirt looks lovely on you. To you know, somebody walking by, I think it's just neat to give that person a sense of feeling good, and I can provide that. It's easy for me, and I like to do it. So I think that that's good advice for people. That it's it's okay, you know, maybe in the grocery store. Be more patient when you're in line, be understanding that everybody deserves the space in front of you, the same space that you are in, you know, that, in fact, not to go back, but that is one of my biggest challenges. I would say that that is my biggest autistic challenge. I have a fear of people behind me, whether it is driving, standing in line, sitting in a drive like, I fear that my deserving of where I'm at is less important than the people behind me, that I need to hurry and move forward and be considerate, that it's not like, you know, it's my fault that I'm not moving quickly enough through things. And so it's something that I've really had to take some mental efforts to stop doing that, to have this, like, I deserve to be here. I deserve to have this space at the post office even though you're mad behind me, it's not my fault. Right. And and so it goes right back to that. Not looking through other people's windshields, staying focused in my own
0: lane in my own
1: type of, of what needs to happen.
0: Yeah. Sorry if I went off track there. A little. No, that's okay. <laughs> so going back to what you were saying about showing appreciation or, or gratitude, giving people compliments. I think that's also contagious, right? Like if you model that to people around you, even if it's to complete strangers, they might be caught off guard at first, but then (laughs) they'll see like, oh, so I could do the same thing. I could actually extend some nice words to the next person I see and kind of pay it forward. Yeah. So I like that. It's like a ripple effect.
1: It's really neat too. And I'll tell you the places I'm, I'm a really loyal customer, if you will. I'll go to back to the same store <laughs> forever. And especially if I've made relationships with one two, ten 10 people, whatever. I love that. I love to go in, say good morning, say hello. You know, there's times where as a mom with little, little, little kids, you know, I was, you know, $5 short at something at the checkout. And I've already built these beautiful relationships with these people and they don't even think twice to jump in to help me. You know, they're just so giving. And so it comes full circle, certainly. So I think it, it's really, like you said, it's a really great example to, to go and to show for people.
0: Right. All right. Sarah. So let's talk about your podcast, the SJ child show. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about some of your topics that you cover, the different guests that you bring on. Yeah, definitely. So the SJ Child show came about, I was just going on
1: to people's podcasts to promote the books. And SJ Childs is my author name, my pen name for my author name. And as we were trying to figure out names for the podcast, I thought, well, we already have a brand name. Let's just keep it. (laughs) We'll stick, (laughs) we'll keep growing. And so SJ became a thing and she became a real person as a host. And um, it's been so exciting. You know, at first I thought, okay, I'm going to keep it kind of, instead of just focusing on autism, I wanted to interview some business people that I had built great connections with that weren't autism related. I wanted to interview some authors and things. And so I kind of wanted to just keep it open. Like, you know a talk show basically mm-hmm. our tagline was supporting families on the spectrum of life and so i wanted it to be about helping educate families and bring tips and information but not just solely on that but that's sometimes not how things play out <laughs> and so it, it's mostly consistently um i have probably more autism episodes than anything else and they range from potty training i mean from very very early on to you know, adult transition to moving to their, you know, own houses or independent living all the way to the CEOs and, you know, the celebrities that I've been able to, to interview just some incredible, incredible people.
0: Yeah. What have you learned about autism advocacy from doing the podcast? Oh gosh, everything.
1: (laughs) So, so much. I mean, I, I really learned a lot about, different people's styles, um, language, you know, maybe perspectives that I hadn't had before that now I could give a different look at one really important one, I think, and I I brought this up just briefly a little bit earlier, but grieving or using the word grieving during a diagnosis process for parents, You know, I had no idea as an early parent that that was a derogatory term, if you will. And if you think about the word, I mean, we use it for the saddest times. And I did an interview with an adult trans male that said when they were growing up, that was a term that their parents used frequently was devastated and mm-hmm. grieving and it really really affected him, you know him and i learned i i had no idea because i was i guess promoting <laughs> that that was okay for new parents you know like in some of my autism groups that had new parents coming in i would say oh it's okay to feel like you're going through this grieving process and and things but then when you learn something that maybe you shouldn't say anymore, <laughs> you learn not to do that. And, and so now I've completely changed the way I look at that, the way I talk about it. And I think it's important to just even bring it up because you don't know until you know that it is something that has affected someone like that.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because I've definitely, we've talked about that grieving process here on the podcast, what would an alternative be? I
1: like overwhelming because it doesn't have a negative connotation. It's just what it is. It's overwhelming. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of emotions. It's a lot of new perspectives to have to learn about. I think it's fair to say it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for the child and the parents. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it gives the child a sense of, uh, I mean, parenting is overwhelming anyways. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, it lightens the, the mood around it. It doesn't make it like, we grieve the loss of people and things and friends. And so I, I, now I see that that's just like, really sad thing to say. And especially if your child hears, you know, and of course, people in parent groups and things like that, I understand they're not saying it to their child, but it's important to still have that information that some language can be harmful. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm also trying to just wrap my head around it now because I do see the parallels, right? Like the grieving, the loss of the child that they could have had. Examining those steps for what they are could also help in the acceptance process. Yeah. But I'm wondering if maybe the whole thing could just be reworded, like if we attributed these different steps to different words, like instead of denial, like something a little bit more appropriate that wouldn't be so harmful. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I never really thought about that.
1: Absolutely like you said it having so many diverse people on the show i've just been able to uncover so many different perspectives and see you know all the struggles and all of the success and get great ideas the clear intentions that came from temple herself like we had an interview and we were talking about how i'm working on a project with our local children's hospital to Make one of their ER triage rooms sensory friendly. And one of her ideas, in when I was kind of talking to her about what are some things that you think might be important in that process, she said, Well, what about clear machinery so that kids can see inside the thermometer, inside the blood pressure machine, in the inside workings of things? Mm. Yeah, which really gave way to that clear intentions across the board, right? Which then it's so exciting. I mean, it it just like things grow and grow and grow. Then I was completely not related to autism, had a Food Network chef on my show, but he just happened to have some autism, you know, connections or had done some fundraisers. And so we did talk a little bit about autism. And one thing I mentioned to him was, well, maybe the next time you do one, you can get clear cooking containers, clear glass pots to to show to see that they can see what's happening on the inside. And I think it's so exciting
0: to get these new ideas going. Yeah, just share it. Yeah, I can definitely relate yeah. on my own journey with doing the podcast and hearing all these different perspectives. And I think going back to something you mentioned earlier about not having a right or wrong with a lot of these different ideas, right? Like everyone has their opinion about how they want to be referred to. You know, we there's a big controversy around person first, identity first and yeah, or even how they want to be represented with the puzzle piece or not and not everyone agrees and autism is not a monolith and I also try to show that wide range of perspectives on our podcast too, just so that it, it leaves it open for people to think outside of what the norm is, yes, supposedly, and know that whatever they think, if they don't agree with the majority, is not wrong, necessarily. It's just how they feel. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more because
1: it's when we kind of accept that we all think differently from one person to the next. You can look at your own neighbors and your own communities to find that out. And we don't normally go into situations. I mean, I guess everybody has their own perspective. I have rose colored colored glasses, if you will or or happy, you know, like cheery ones. And so I try to see things from, you know, good perspectives or how they can be better. And so I think that the more you kind of support the people around you and be the change you want to see in the world, right? I think that's a really great quote.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're trying to promote inclusion and acceptance of autism around the world. And so we kind of need to practice what we preach and include and accept different ideas about autism within the community itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Sarah, so you're also hosting a virtual summit in August called the One in 44 Tour. So what made you decide to put that together?
1: So it was my brilliant husband's idea. He said, just in brainstorming one day, I think it was like maybe last January, he said, well, what if in April you did something called like the One in 44 Tour, which is representative of the One in 44 individuals diagnosed with autism in the United States. So I'm not quite sure about the world's numbers for sure, but I'm in the United States. So (laughs) that's, you know, where, where I was doing my focus and it's great because it kind of comes back to exactly what you were saying on how we can get these perspectives to the world. So I have had the opportunity to bring together over 20 autistic speakers and, live podcasters, including yourself. I am so excited. August 12th and 13th, there will be a virtual autism education conference for those people who aren't sure what a summit might be. And it's going to be um, just a real educational kind of view from the spectrum. I like to think of it. Um, Different, you know, we have some presenters that celebrities now that have been on Netflix recently. We have some presentations that are from some of our advocates that are across the United States and across the world. And so to be able to bring all of these people together, to hear their different stories, to, you know, eavesdrop into the day in their lives, to kind of get a sense of what their struggles might be, what their challenges were, what they've overcome and the success that they're having now. I think it'll be so special to help people see what autism looks like today.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll put a link to the website so people can register. We'll put that in our show notes so everyone has that information. Wonderful.
1: Oh, it's going to be such a wonderful thing. And it's very affordable. It's a two-day event that will have a replay. And not only that, but there'll be Q and A's throughout. So you, they'll be able to ask questions, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. be able to ask some of the top professionals or advocates or podcasters what might be some strategies or some goals that they might want to have, or, you know, how can we better help our family member or even in the workplace, we're going to have people talking about workplace and transitions I'm I'm trying to like think of all the topics they're going to have. <laughs> we have two presenters that aren't autistic that are professionals in the autism community and the first one is is local to my satan city and she's going to be talking about parent mindset which is a phenomenal topic to talk about. And I think it's going to be a really great start for the the summit is to really give the the idea that this starts not only with the individual, this starts with the family and this starts with the people that will be listening.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's so exciting.
0: Yeah, And congratulations for putting it together. Oh, I remember gosh, when you, you. <laughs> we, were, we had a, I think a round table at one of our community events earlier in the year and you had mentioned, I, or maybe it was even December last year and you're like, I'm gonna put together this summit and we'll see. I don't know what it's gonna right? be like. And now here you are. Oh my gosh. I can't even believe it. It's so interesting to see an idea
1: come to life. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. So this isn't a project I cannot finish. So I, there's no not <laughs> finishing this project. So it will, August uh,
0: 12th and 13th, save the date. And yep. we'd love to have you all there. All right. Okay, Sarah, I'd like to close with just one last question. What advice would you give to other newly diagnosed autistic women? I would say to probably like you said maybe get a
1: therapist to help if you don't have someone close that you can really uncover and start to put together what you look like as a whole and you know what th- what that means for you. I think that giving here this advice that I took the other day what would it look like if there was no one around? If there was no one looking, what would you do for yourself? I think that's where you find like the real inner peace and the inner love. You just do what that feels right to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much thank for you. sharing your story with us and getting vulnerable. It's been so great. I'm, I love it. <laughs> thank
1: you so much for giving me this opportunity. I, I've really had a great time.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Sarah's virtual summit, the 1 in 44 tour, will be a great way to hear different perspectives on important topics from a variety of speakers. I'll be hosting our next community roundtable discussion live at the summit on August 12th at 12.45 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to participate in the community roundtable and go live with us at the summit, please join our online community and RSVP to the event at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.